Hello listeners, Dave Ryan here, host of Link to the Cast and the Away Goals podcast. Just letting you know the audio feast that lays before you right now is episode zero of the Away Goals podcast, the weekly podcast that is about to begin with myself and Jack Lazell discussing the week's events in football. If you would like to subscribe to us, please check us out at Away Goals Pod on Twitter and as we begin to set up our social media and our SoundCloud we will be tweeting about it there so you can follow us on all sorts of different platforms if you just follow us on Twitter first, at Pod. What you're about to listen to is the first half of our European Championships review. As will happen any time myself and Jack get a microphone in front of us, we talked for quite a while about the football. This went on a lot longer than expected, so we split it into two halves to make them a little bit more bite-sized for you. So this is the first half of our coverage. The second half has some lovely coverage as well, some more of our talking points, our team of the tournament, and some transfer talk. So please do enjoy the episode zero of the Away Goals podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to episode zero of the Away Goals podcast, all about the crazy world of football and who better to have with me in the co-pilot seat than the Dwight York to my Andy Cole, Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? <laughs> I'm alright, thanks mate. I don't know if I would take Dwight York out of the two of them. <laughs> Will I go back to Roman Reigns? <laughs> yeah, you could, you could go back to Roman Reigns if you want to. I'm glad you didn't do Sheer and Sutton though, because nobody's going to identify themselves as as Sutton, are no. they? I would have been Sutton, and or, I, I have a lot of distaste towards that man for a very tempestuous spell he had at Chelsea in the early 2000s. <laughs> or you know, based on his punditry career, I don't know if many people would be willing to identify themselves as a Shearer either, necessarily. <laughs> well, I don't think he's that bad, yeah. but you know, he doesn't offer he doesn't offer a lot, does he? So this is episode zero. This is kind of the first episode that will be t- distinctly separate from Link to the Cast. It will be available on the Link to the Cast RSS feed, but also check us out over on uh, the Away Goals podcast on SoundCloud. We'll be tweeting out links from the Link to the Cast account, so you can follow us on there. But we're here to talk about the latter stages of the tournament today. We're also going to talk about some transfer news. It's silly season. Uh, One of my favourite times of the year, where it feels like a bunch of 12-year-olds playing FIFA are in control of the uh, tabloid headlines going around the place. Uh, So we're going to talk about all that today. We're going to do things slightly differently, Jack. Do you want to uh, explain the the format we have for today's show, where we're going to make it slightly less kind of uh, formulaic, game-by-game sort of business? Yeah, I was just going to cover some some key topics and talk about the teams, talk about our winners, our runners-up. I've picked out a a three-up, three-down format, similar to how they use on TalkSport, just to talk about three teams that I think came out of the tournament with some positives even if they didn't come out with a trophy and three teams I think that came out of the tournament uh, with some negatives perhaps though you have to uh, accept that the negatives might be based on expectation so one man's negative might be another man's positive and yeah just some other some bits and pieces talk about teams of the tournament as well which I think will be 
very interesting, especially having seen Dave's formation now, which <laughs> I won't spoil for you because we want to carry on uh, listening. And I'd say finishing up with some, some big transfers in the world of the Premier League because Dave, after an international tournament, we are literally within um, less than a month now of the Premier League season kicking off again. Isn't that pretty scary? It really is. Like, I was thinking about it, like, I will be visiting you in England in about a month from now, and the Premier League will have already started by then. Yeah, correct. And the Football League a few days before that. <laughs> I again, know, it's, it's, it's madness. Football is permanent. This is, this is the time of, uh, of year where any wives and girlfriends out there or husbands uh, who happen to be in a... Uh, a, f- a relationship where the other partner is obsessed with football are probably just counting down their weekends. They know they're going to have their full attention <laughs> before it goes back to the total and utter devotion to football. <laughs> my, uh, my my girlfriend who works with uh, the, the unnamed uh, betting company that young Mark Robinson also works for, uh, she only found out when she got employed there, like at the start of last year, she only figured out then that only one summer in four uh, goes without some sort of football tournament and <laughs> this was distressing to her although I, I was trying to explain to her that the Confederations Cup doesn't really count as a proper football tournament it's nice to have but it's more of a screensaver than a tournament yeah I, I was actually very disappointed that uh, I couldn't watch the Copa America this summer as well because over here I know I think it was on was it Satanta Sports over in Ireland there was on a, a weird channel over in England called um, Premier Sports I think like the only other thing that they maybe show that I've seen is is ice hockey which I like as well but I can find relatively easily online as I probably could with the Copa American yeah. games but I, I remember like it being on ITV and, and, and BBC3 a few years yeah. ago and, and that usually runs every uh, odd year as well I think it's every two or four years yeah. I'm not entirely yeah. sure now because it's all over the place yeah, I don't, now they've had the centenary tournament right smack bang in the yeah. middle I don't know if it was on Satanta whatever it was on it would make sense that it would be Satanta because Satanta tends to get very strange like every so often there'll just be like a random Serie A game on Satanta Sport uh, which is a good time like I love me some Serie A but I'd, I'd honestly prefer more consistent coverage of that league like I used to get on <laughs> was it Bravo it used to be on? Yeah, I, it's been on Bravo. I mean, I think we all remember the glory days of the 90s oh. of, of Serie A being on Channel 4 with, with Mr. James Richardson, who now hosts a very excellent football podcast on The Guardian and quite a great uh, European football show on BT Sport as well at the moment, who provide pretty great Serie A coverage over here. So I, I can't really complain. We have excellent football yeah coverage in this country as it is and Satanta I always find quite weird because they were a very short-lived entity over in England mm. they had this whole paywall uh, plan for Premier League games where I think you could it was up to nine ninety nine. some of them that you could order on like, oh it was, an a, it was an version. a la carte yeah 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 and it it just did not fly and they uh, folded as an English entity very very quickly there's so only a couple of years they were around yeah surprised to see them still going and it seems crazy that you know that these companies that were in the running for premier league action maybe 12 15 years ago and the money that they put down just pales in comparison to what bt and sky are currently fronting in the billions of pounds football has gone nuts but 
Dave, let's head back in the direction of the more pure form of the game, the international game where you're playing for your country and probably some money too, but mainly (laughs) you're playing for your country and for the pride of a nation. And Euro 2016, the the quad annual tournament that it is every four years uh all of the best teams in europe expanded from 16 teams to 24 teams this year and our winners are portugal yeah dave did you see this coming because i mean i sure as hell did not yeah you, you say like it was a it was a beautiful opportunity for a segue considering we were just talking about how crazy the world of football is that we leapfrog into uh of the four semi-final teams uh perhaps the least likely and certainly the one most people would have been disappointed with winning the tournament would have been Portugal and they ended up winning it um Portugal are a kind of team that for pretty much as long as I have been following football have had like a rolling golden generation like I'm talking back to the days of like Rui Costa and Figo and things like that and yeah. one of my great uh not early memories of football because I've been watching it for several years at that point but one of my great memories of football was the absolute uh ass handing they got uh in 2002 was it at the hands of the united states and a young a young landon donovan in that tournament (laughs) young landon donovan Uh, certainly not a sentence that applies to him no certainly not but uh yeah they've always been the story of portugal is always the bridesmaids never the brides uh because then you came to 2004 where they had like a lot they had home field advantage in that tournament the final was in lisbon they had um still a few of the elder statesmen knocking about in that uh team and then the the rise of the likes of uh cristiano ronaldo and i really think uh euro 2004 even though they ended up losing to greece in uh, absolute daylight robbery in the final um, I think that was the tournament uh, that really made Ronaldo grow up in a lot of ways. Like, I know he's still petulant, like a four-year-old child sometimes, uh, and we did see that in this tournament, particularly against the likes of Iceland. But uh, as a United fan, I, I noticed upon his return and the, the heat he was getting in England over the um, the incident against uh, England in that tournament, uh, I, I noticed that... Uh, a new maturity once he arrived in England and uh, he started to kick on from there and actually become start to become the player he is now but yeah uh, I can't say I did see Portugal winning this tournament I know on our preview show over at Link to the Cast I did say that I expected them to do quite well because or at least better than you know Mark was necessarily saying they would uh, just I, I you, you can never root against a team that has Cristiano Ronaldo in it or has uh, Renato Sanchez in it who's a very promising young player has an aging but still effective on his day Jean Moutinho a couple of players like that known bastard Pepe um, <laughs> and you know a couple of other players that like on occasion have been known to show up like Nani or you know once every few years Charisma shows up and does something uh, I couldn't discount the possibility that they would go deep into the tournament but I wouldn't have necessarily backed them to either but uh not only their victory but the manner in which it happened uh was incredible uh taking to the final against the home team uh france having their best player cristiano ronaldo their figurehead their captain uh come off in the the 26th minute of the game 
it was pretty early yeah. on. He, he, he did a whole thing with soldiering, trying to soldier through. Yeah. He came off and he came on and came off and came on yeah. and they strapped his leg up. And, and I remember there was one counter-attack. Uh, yeah, it must have been around the 20, 25th minute, something like that. And they went to carry the ball forward and Ronaldo burst out with it. And it's the sort of thing where Ronaldo normally eats the ground up at absolutely frightening pace. Yeah. Uh, and he just kind of stopped. He and, pulled, and yeah, he pulled, up, he pulled up in his jog and kind of, you could see him kind of motion to the sidelines, kind of knowing, yeah, this is it. Um, it was it was over. it was incredibly disappointing. Like I know there are a lot of boo boys out there for Ronaldo. Uh, both the kind of the the people who would follow uh, Barca in La Liga would be would tend to take joy in anything bad that happened to Ronaldo. Or uh, I certainly had my news feed flooded with uh, Liverpool fans of all people who are still bitter for a man that left Manchester United some years ago. Uh, they they took delight in it, but to me, like as petulant as he had been in the tournament with his comments about Iceland, and uh, you know, as much of and throwing away that microphone yeah. into a lake, what a bizarre incident! And that as was. much of it, like a, you could say, an anti-hero he is sometimes. Um, it's terrible to see, like um, the 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 kind of the the final game of a tournament uh, be robbed of its biggest star in some ways. It was very sad to see. And I, I think uh, a lot of respect has to go out for the fact that he was trying to continue on. But my suspicion is that that is the same injury that he was carrying in the Champions League final. Uh, and he just, he hasn't had the time to get fit since and has just been kind of soldiering on through the tournament. And this is where like even Superman has his weaknesses, you know? Absolutely. I mean, the guy is getting... He's in his early 30s He's 31, now. yeah. He is an absolute machine, and nobody looks after their body in the way that Cristiano Ronaldo does. You know, the guy has even gone out of his way to purchase one of those cryo chambers, which is meant to help with short-term recovery yeah. on injuries and knocks and just generally, like, the regenerative properties mm. of, of muscle tissue. And he... He must, over the course of a season, he plays pretty much every single game. Like, mm. there's not a top player in the world that can match him for fitness. No. So, you and know, when Ronaldo is hurt, he's genuinely hurt, yeah, and there's not and a hell of a lot you can do about and it. And it's got to be said, like, the fitness is the, the kind of, it's the key part of Ronaldo's game. Like, you talk about the kind of the yin and the yang, the two great players of our generation, Ronaldo and Messi. Um, the difference that is often kind of uh, said about the two of them is the, the idea of the football brain and that when both of them start to slow down in their 30s, the person that's going to kind of benefit the most from that is probably Messi because Messi has a superior football intelligence. Whereas Ronaldo, a lot of his game is the fact that he is a superhuman athlete. Um, his speed, his pace, his strength, his ungodly leaping ability, which we saw again in this tournament, is what makes him so unique. Um, whereas kind of when Messi starts to slow down, you're, you're still going to see, much like in a Ryan Giggs sort of way, that when Ryan Giggs began to slow down and start losing that explosive pace he had when he was younger, uh, Messi's going to be just fine because he could probably still pick out a pass or the back of the net when he felt like it. Agreed, yeah. Ronaldo does rely an awful lot on his physicality and I think we can probably see Messi accept that transition naturally uh, whereas yep. it'll be more interesting to see 
what Ronaldo does. Yeah, but just, I, I, um, I could I could easily see. Uh, just, sorry, before we move on, I could easily see that the, the the future of Messi is to kind of recede back into a role that we saw him kind of take up as like a secondary striker or a trequartista kind of behind the main centre forward, uh, just kind of. Um, almost like pulling the strings yeah but just pulling the strings sitting there kind of not the main uh, attacking force of a team but the guy who creates the opportunities and I see him being quite happy doing that as a senior figure at Barcelona yeah and he he has the ability to do it and he never seems to go around if, if he can take the ball past people he never necessarily does that with outrageous pace he just does it with an insane close control ability so I think he'll be able to adapt and um, we'll see what Cristiano can do no doubt he will work himself as he continues to do and probably extend his career a couple of years longer than, than most people his age would probably be able to do anyway but what I was going to say Dave is after that happened um, the incident of Ronaldo's injury and then he was bombarded with moths which were a key theme for, yeah. the, for the final uh, it almost seemed to galvanise Portugal in a way because yeah. I think they, as the game rolled on, they probably would have been heavily relying on Cristiano and, and yeah. they would have been trying to get him the ball to try and make something happen and not necessarily stuck to the game plan. But when he went off, they seemed to come together uh, as a unit a hell of a lot more and yeah. the the work rate from the team was pretty exceptional in that final it was it was a difficult final to watch for the neutral it, it'd be hard to sell somebody on that game as a classic to, to somebody that doesn't normally watch football would have yeah. had a real struggle to do it but tactically it was pretty perfect from Portugal really yeah I think we've seen it time and time again um, this idea of a team that has one massive superstar and other quite good players but not nearly on the same tier as the superstar of the team and the question that pundits and journalists and all that have all the time about them is like is it possible this team might do better without trying to form the team around this person because when this person doesn't show up or something goes wrong with them if the team is formed around them and is still focusing on them, well, then they're not going to do as well. Like we've seen people talk about it with England and Wayne Rooney constantly. Is like that England would would possibly benefit from having Wayne Rooney drop from the side. And I know that you probably have some strong opinions on that yourself, Jack. But with Ronaldo, I, I think a lot of those players uh, in that game you could see, while they would have been happier to have Ronaldo on the pitch because, let's face it, he is one of the two best players in the world depending on the season um yep at the same time you would have looked at a couple of players like lewis nanny had a very very good tournament in spite of my general feelings on that man um the likes of Ronaldo sanchez a few other people in that team who were like right this is our chance this is our chance to show that we're not just ronaldo plus 10 this is our chance to show that we are a team we're a unit and we all have something to offer not just the guy with the armband on and they they yeah. did that they stepped up big time um, and another thing that they would have been looking for not only to step up and play up to France's level but they also would have been looking for certain figures not pointing at who to not get sent off agreed and it's uh, it, the second the second half of extra time they seem to come alive in, in a strange way it was like their performance in the game of, of being very resolute kind of allowed them perhaps to 
when they did come out, France didn't really have much of an answer for it. Mm. They didn't seem to be able to pick out what Portugal were going to do. And it, it was a very... It's, it's, it's weird because I think at that stage, a lot of people would have expected Portugal to just kind of carry on doing what they've been doing and play for penalties. Yeah. But this, the second half of extra time, they when they did eventually burst forward and get the goal, it was thoroughly deserved. And yeah. in the end, they could have had another couple because they had a, a few other breakaways where France had to push hard for the equaliser. But Eder... Of uh, all people, a man, a man who a floundered man. at Swansea. <laughs> yeah, and it was the uh, statistic that's been widely retweeted and, and, and written about that he started the year, the calendar year 2016, on the bench for Swansea against Oxford in a game where they were beaten, I think, 3-1. And he wasn't even deemed on that day good enough to be brought on up front to give them a bit more firepower. <laughs> and he becomes the hero he is the man who scores the winning goal in the Euro 2016 final. And it was a fantastic goal as Joining well. Joining the ranks of Karasteus and... <laughs> yeah, and all of those other luminaries. But he received the ball brilliantly and a little bit of a run and just unleashed and uncorked a brilliant shot from 25 yards. And it really caught out Lloris, who otherwise was pretty great in the tournament i have to say yeah. and just that was it from that moment on and yeah. the energy drained out of the stadium in france big time yeah i, I gotta say at this point and this leads into our second talking point for the show is that as much as this was a tale of portugal's triumph over adversity with the the absence of ronaldo for vast uh, periods of this game i think we also have to tell the story of france and the fact that the deeper that game went the longer it went on you started to see cracks show and it was the, I think the occasion really got to France here the pressure of delivering at home you know with all the narratives that were going to this tournament about how this was going to be a tournament that unified France after a horrible year you know with um, all the horrible things that have been going on in France that we need not dwell on on this bright and breezy football podcast but I, I was going to say and since and since uh, even since yeah especially with ba what happened on Bastille Day I, I thought so 100% with the absolutely. people of France at the moment because it, it just seems like a really tough situation and as you say not wanting to bring the mood down yeah. but I, I, it must be very difficult for the people of France at the moment absolutely but in this game you had a kind of the, the, the stories had already been written the headlines had been written the buses had been painted that this was going to be the team that unifies France because even irrespective of all the kind of the geopolitical humdrum that's going on this year you have the case of like traditionally as well you know you're yourself jack there have been years and years of divisions in that french team going back to the, the year of zidane and even before that of you know the idea of there being three distinct groups within french national sides in years past and that's like the the kind of uh the what you might for want of a much better term call like the native french the algerians and the kind of the uh the players of african descent who are from like you know the likes of mali or any of the other uh former colony Ghana. french colonies yeah. yeah um and there has always we have seen in times past like um before his legal disputes we saw the, the the struggles that people had to accept the likes of benzema in the french squad or i'm trying to think of another good there was another good example of an algerian player not too long y ago yuri jokaev yeah yuri jokaev you have even the fact that like were it not for the fact that he was just so unbelievably good at the football they probably would have had just as much of a problem with zinedine zidane who is of algerian descent um but this is something that like has plagued 
French teams uh, almost as long as I've been watching football. And this could have been the, the tournament that may have, at least for the time being, unified those kind of factions within the squad. It's not been too long since the French squad imploded at um, the, the World Cup in South Africa. It's only been six years. The scars are still healing in some ways. People, Most of the people, thankfully, uh, the instigators are gone out of that. But Evra, one of the main instigators, is still there. Um, there was a lot of narratives going into this, that this would be a new era for French football. There's a lot of young players coming through that would have been able to take the baton and stuff like that. And I think the occasion and the spectacle and everything, I think the longer Portugal managed to frustrate them, and I think that Portugal were keenly aware of this, the longer they managed to frustrate France, the more France were going to panic. And then they were able to strike with the little bit of energy Portugal had left. They were able to pounce on a, a French team that really lacked confidence on the night. Yeah, it was a weird tournament in general for France because it, it was as I think a lot of people thought it would be in that you're quite right their squad is is brilliant uh, it, and it has a lot of uh, their, great players their, their, that their ha- bench that, is brilliant like yeah, <laughs> that ha- the, uh, they they are they have got the full mix of of all the different um ethnicities that you mentioned but it it's very much like Deschamps had kind of managed to bring a squad together and and left out some notable names that had one unified goal in mind this was a team that that they weren't in it for self-interest that they were in it because they genuinely wanted to play for France and they wanted to be triumphant in their own country that's why he left out Nasri who's a who's a troublemaker it's it's why the whole Benzema Ribery, Valbuena glossed over and Valbuena didn't make it as well for for whatever happened with that and and he he kind of took that approach and I understand that but despite all these brilliant players there wasn't really a moment in the tournament other than against Iceland um and Iceland to Iceland uh that they they were brilliant all the way through but to get to where they got to they they can count themselves uh very proud and very fortunate I suppose in some senses but there wasn't that moment where they fired for a whole game and, and just went and, and had the beating of someone completely. Yeah, and it was, it was that unconvincing nature through which they kind of conducted themselves uh, throughout the tournament that when, all, when things were said and done, when the dust settled and Portugal lifted the trophy, you couldn't say you felt too hugely bad for a lot of players in that squad because it, particularly in the final, not a lot of them played like they really wanted to win it. Um, the, the two I definitely felt bad for maybe three yeah I, I felt bad for Kante who did not get his uh, who really should have played every single minute of every single game throughout that tournament such is the majesty of his uh, his footballing ability uh, as we'll probably talk about later in the transfer section um, and I also felt quite bad for the likes of uh, Antoine Griezmann and uh, Dimitri Payet as well who I think both of those players uh France got to the final uh, largely on the backs of those two. Yeah, uh, I thought Lloris had a great tournament for them too. Yeah. And Sissoko, uh, he only sort of came into it really during the, the last stages of the tournament, but he was quite fantastic. Yeah, and, and I'm he, sure in, a in lot the final, of Newcastle uh, fans were angry yeah. at how well he was playing because he's just taken them, well, he's gone down with them and, and maybe had two good games this season. Yeah, for them. well, he's, he's playing into that Newcastle trope from last season that any time they realise there's a TV camera on them, they play like the best team in the league. 
um, because that is, I will say that Soko there in that game, um, he looked like one of the only French players who was actually willing to take the ball and run at defenders and see what would happen. Now, oftentimes nothing happened, but you know, that's what the game needed from a French player was someone. And I assume before the tournament, everyone would have expected that someone would be Paul Pogba. We talked on the last show about kind of what may have been going on there in the Pogba situation. So there's no use to, no use in really retreading that. But, um, the French really needed someone like some sort of figurehead in the middle of that game to just take it by the scruff of the neck and do something, create some sort of magic to settle things down, settle the nerves, but it didn't and it's just slipped away from them. It's true, yeah. I mean, we talk about Pogba and whether or not he was playing too deep and, and being able to affect it and it, it was funny actually, Payet was so magical for France at the start of the tournament that no one really noticed that towards the end of the tournament he kind of slowed down yeah. a bit and he was nullified quite brilliantly by Portugal in that game and to the point where he was substituted in the final. He was. Uh, and it was kind of a sad end to his tournament because mm. that, that stage in that moment, if he managed to find something for France in there, he, he would have cemented his place easily, I think, as, as player of the tournament and, and, and gone down in French football folklore, but yeah. he just couldn't do it and as you say, there was no one that was really providing any leadership on the pitch either there was no one kind of dictating play and it just was flat and a lot of the players that they have had managed to get them through games where they had performed in a similar fashion but Portugal had worked too hard and come too far to just be able to be rolled over in such an obvious way and and yeah it's a real shame I think this is you know the last two home tournaments that France had played they had won uh, and they were built around superstars absolute superstars uh, I think lots of people now know Platini as the slightly corrupt dude who messed up UEFA <laughs> slightly and al- and almost and almost came uh, almost came like within a whisper of being FIFA's president before allegations upon allegations stacked themselves in front of him like some sort of totem pole of slime uh, but in 1984, he lit the football world on fire and was brilliant. And in 1998, Mr. Zinedine Zidane Ugh. did exactly the same and was domineering yeah. and absolute, just the stuff of football myth. Yeah. When people describe these players from previous generations, but you know what? You can go back and you can watch it and you can see how good these guys yeah, are. Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I think and it, that, that, was, that, and you were, that was it. That was the point that I, I'm just backing you up on. I think... That is not what France did not have, yeah. and that is what everybody assumed Pogba would be. But in that sense, I think he needed to have more freedom. He, he needed perhaps the teams he built around him, and that didn't really happen. No. And, and you do wonder about confidence and and, and motivation and, and things like mm-hmm. that, like what is going on between the ears of a footballer. Because I think a lot of and, and I don't know if you will go along with this, Dave, but. In the era of football that we're in now, the modern kind of era, you have things like FIFA, you have things like Football Manager, where people are picking players based on statistics and numbers and ratings and every single um, like newspaper and online article will give a player a rating out of 10. And everybody is just staring at these numbers and assuming that just because somebody is worth this or 
is rated as that or their dribbling ability is 99 or they're a five-star skill player on FIFA, yeah. that they're always going to be able to perform. Mm. These are human beings. And, and I just think that that might have been it. They yeah. might have been slightly think, overawed and Pogba are the same. I think it's a topic worth revisiting on the show in the weeks to come uh, when we're doing the show on a weekly basis. The idea that, um, like you said, it's become more of the focus of the game has become more on uh, athleticism and statistics rather than, I think the era where we were growing up was kind of like the the last era of the the players that i to use your word like mythical was the quality there were so many that late 90s early 2000s period there were so many players that take on in in my eyes and in my heart like a, a mythical status the likes of a zidane like you were saying or the likes of a you know a roy Keane or a Vieira or a, the original ronaldo who to me alex del piero <sighs> Pavel Na- uh, Nedved, um, yes. Pippo Inzaghi. You know, there's like, there's just, there's, a, you could go on Rui Costa. Like, there's just an endless is Roberto Carlos. It just, the list goes on and on. Thierry Henry. You know what I mean? These players who, yes, a lot of the players of today are superior athletes, but we don't, we're in an era now where we don't have the inspirational maverick the the figure that in a final in a crunch game you I'm not thinking that there's an awful lot of players who will do like say like uh, Roy Keane did in the semi final in '99 in the Champions League where he took the yellow card knew he wasn't going to be in the game and he won that semi final he pulled the team up by his bootstraps we don't have a lot of team a lot of teams with characters like that who do that anymore um, no, which is sad I mean, it, and uh, I don't want to. Um, come across as too much of a fanboy here, but it's why uh, somebody like John Terry oh, at Chelsea, <laughs> despite uh, no, despite like the obvious decline in in maybe perhaps his his kind of speed and uh, just generally being able to hang with like a 21, 22 year old winger just sprinting at him very very quick in a straight line. Oh, uh, that kind of leadership quality, yeah, and just gen general like kind of inspirational figure is it's, it's almost va- like priceless yeah. there's no value that you can put upon that and uh, yeah that there didn't seem that figure in the france yeah. team for me really yeah. and i guess that's where they kind of had to rely on deschamps who was always kind of that guy uh for france back in the day mm. uh you know he was made a captain of of his team i think it was non when he was like 21 years old and and i, I guess he was the only really guy that, that they are kind of rely on for that but they needed someone on the pitch as well I think and uh, it was just it was a shame yeah. it was a shame it was a perfect opportunity for France and they just came up a tiny bit short well, I think enough about the final for now let's uh, rewind a little bit and uh, talk about some other interesting things from the el- uh, elimination rounds of this tournament and let's talk about uh, a couple of countries close to our hearts Jack England and the Republic of Ireland uh, both crashing out in the round of 16 um, in somewhat <laughs> unsimilar circumstances yeah I think in terms uh, of expectation I, I think if you had uh, put Irish newspapers beside English newspapers the morning after each team had been eliminated they told very different stories um, I think yes. largely it's agreed over here um, because we're, we we for all our kind of um, the stories about how great the Irish fans and stuff like that were over in France, just watch all the YouTube videos and everything like that. I think everyone has seen them by now, like singing lullabies to babies on the trains in France and stuff like that. Yeah, the Irish fans are fantastic and all that. 
but we are very realistic generally speaking as fans uh, it's one thing I, I will say about Irish fans we don't get carried away when things are going good and I think getting eliminated and getting eliminated by the host one there is no shame in that there's there's no shame in the way we got eliminated from the tournament i think we did better than expected i don't think any one of the three of us on the euros preview show uh, expected ireland to get out of the group i think maybe we hoped optimistically that things would fall their way uh, i don't think anyone would have expected the uh, the performance we put in against italy nor that robbie brady of all people would pop up and score that goal um, nor would we have expected to take the lead against France, uh, albeit from a penalty kick. Um, but uh, I, I'd have to say that kind of looking back and dissecting um, the Irish performance in the tournament anyway, uh, a lot of journalists, a lot of pundits and myself would all kind of agree that they that the squad did us proud and for a team that's very, very limited, I think we did quite well and gave what i think is important for the smaller nations in this tournament it gave young fans something to kind of galvanize them in, in terms of supporting the team and in wanting to keep playing football themselves do you know what i mean like it can be it, it's as much about that as it is about actually succeeding in the tournament because you want the next generation of kids that are coming through the the youth academies like whereas when i was growing up we had our roy Keens and we had you know young robbie Keane and damien duff and stuff like that giving us memories at uh, super ray house and people like that giving us the memories growing up and it's good that young fans now who might be out kicking a football around the street have the likes of a Robbie Brady or a Shane Long or a Wes Houlihan and they have memories of Euro 2016 to take away with them my question to you um, would be that how old is Wes Houlihan now is he is he 34 he's yeah 30? he's he's, thir- he's somewhere between 32 and 34 I think I'll, I'll look it up here while you're talking okay um, and yeah my question would be he was involved in pretty much all of the good things that Ireland did, especially yeah. in terms of the goal. I mean, it was a fantastic goal. Yeah. He scored he's 34. against Sweden. He's 34. And he scored, uh, the, uh, despite missing a good chance just before, he set up Brady's goal with absolute aplomb. And he seems to be that pivotal player for Ireland, kind of like we were just talking about France, who, who kind of didn't show up for them. Yeah. Um, he, he, at 34, is there another Wes Houlihan? for Ireland where's the next where's who the hand going to come for or come from and when Ireland comes to qualify around for the next World Cup sure he might be still about then but 36 but for the next Euros I would imagine he'll be either retired or 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 kind of not going to be picked at that point and and that is to me that would be the key for this squad because nothing bad can be said about the work rate or you know the the way that Martin O'Neill kind of really does get the best out of some pretty average Premier League players mm. and and they do achieve uh, you would say a, a minimum to par and sometimes overachieve like getting through that group you could perhaps look at as in the tournament and in the group that they were as an overachievement but yeah it's just finding that player to yeah. be that decisive man yeah. for Ireland well, and I just wonder if there's anyone else that would be able to come in and do that role or if that next guy is in the under-21s or something like yeah, that at the moment. Yeah, Wes Hulan is a, an absolutely top quality player um, in, in that Irish team and is very much the centrepiece um, creatively. Um, 
it's got to be said that he, um, for those who follow the Irish team, you'll remember that um, his lack of inclusion in the team in years past is what uh, eventually led, I, I believe, to the uh, the parting of ways with Trapattoni, um, one of the major sticking points pundits on television, in the newspapers, and fans watching on TV had, was that why isn't this guy who is very evidently our best player playing all the time? Um, when he was just sitting on the bench and maybe coming on for a couple of minutes at the end and not really having a chance to put his stamp on a game. But uh, yeah, the the concern is like who, when he steps down, he probably does have one more campaign left in him, the, the, the qualifying for the next World Cup. But after that, there's, there is a couple of bright spots to take away from that, uh, the team's performance in the tournament that aren't him. I think, and we talked about it on the last show, um, where Jeff Hendrick has come from. Uh, because I have seen him play in person and I did not know he had that performance in him that he put in uh, for large parts of that tournament. And maybe he is one of those guys that can be uh, a figurehead in the Irish team going forward um, because he certainly showed absolutely no fear against uh, superior teams in that tournament. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. His his work rate was second to none and he was like very much Ireland's kind of box-to-box midfielder that was making the the difference, you know, uh, in, the, in much the way that uh, Aaron Ramsey did for Wales mm. this is a guy who is just getting involved in everything and, and tirelessly committing players taking players away with run and creating space and just his effort whether he's playing out wide or, or playing more central was was excellent to see and there's a guy that played for Derby last season I, th- I wonder whether or not there are a few Premier League teams now kind of looking maybe taking a chance on Jeff Hendrick and seeing if he can come in at Premier League level and, and be as good as he yeah, was well, in the Euros. He's definitely added a few million pounds yeah. to his asking the, price for Derby. The, the other thing as well is that he is only 24, so he's got a good while left uh, playing for that Irish team. Uh, at the moment, it does look like the most likely destination for him is... Uh, Burnley they are uh, currently kind of back and forth with Derby uh, I think the last figure was somewhere around 6 million being bid for him uh, but look we'll see There's uh, time will tell uh, I definitely think he was one of the standouts of the tournament much as I think uh, Robbie Brady a guy who is probably most famous to most people who don't really follow the game intently as being a cast off from uh, Manchester United uh, I think he did very well in the tournament uh, one guy who didn't do as well as I was hoping uh, necessarily was Shane Long but I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that uh, Shane Long was being left stranded for large parts of every single game he was in and uh, was getting you could say physically assaulted would not be uh, too strong a term to use <laughs> on, on a couple <laughs> of occasions in there and there have been some uh, entertaining photos on Twitter of him uh, perhaps uh, deserving a couple of penalties throughout the tournament but uh, he, he was kicked right in the face in one game yeah, wasn't he yeah he, he was who, who, which game was that again remind me of it uh, was it uh, oh it was Belgium yeah it was, it was it? against Belgium he yeah in the first half he was getting absolutely hiding in the face yeah yeah, and, and that win a penalty for it so yeah I kind of felt a little bit bad for him yeah but, uh, that but was, he, as, as always Shane Long just gets on with it doesn't he yeah in, and doesn't stop no yeah he's no nonsense he's, he doesn't uh, he doesn't look to make a, a big deal of things he just tr- he tries very very hard um, so but that's so Dave I was just going to ask um, in terms of the next tournament for Ireland 
what kind of where do you see them in in, in a couple of years time and, and, and where do they kind of go from here what, what do you think they need to do to improve a bit um is there anywhere specifically that you think that the weaknesses are at the moment where they can kind of have a look at a few of the younger players and maybe look to cultivate that area a little well, bit well the thing is like we have the problem always with international football is that it's not like you can go into the transfer market and address weaknesses directly you just have to hope that there are people declaring for Ireland who are worth a look at and there are no real obvious contenders to come up and take um take prominent roles within that team straight away uh, I think Martin you can have Jack Grealish if you want him <laughs> you're fine mate thanks um, but we've got a we've 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 got a group that it's it's not unfeasible that we could qualify from um, yeah we have Wales in our qualifying group for the World Cup which you know you're looking at them to come top in that group particularly after their uh, performance in the Euros but we've got Austria who had by all accounts a dreadful showing at the tournament uh, Serbia Moldova and Georgia so honestly I'd be I'd consider us in with a strong shout of finishing second in that group even without much tinkering uh, to the team um, we're probably well we can't be too sure but we're, we're looking at uh, if they don't retire by the start of the uh the qualifying, they may well be retired from the international scene by the time we get to the tournament. Uh, two massive uh, figures in the locker room of Robbie Keane and John O'Shea. Um, Robbie Keane, who kind of, um, if you've seen him of late, like there's a reason he went to the States. Like his legs are pretty much gone at this point. He doesn't really have a lot to offer apart from kind of just a handy person to have in training camps who, you know, has been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Um, John O'Shea still... Uh, can put in a decent shift for Ireland when uh, we ask him to. So uh, he'll be missed when he eventually does step down. But um, yeah, it's going to be a real wait and see on Ireland. Um, we don't have the kind of players coming through the youth academies that some uh, other nations are blessed with. But the one thing that uh, a squad managed by Martin O'Neill is always going to have is character. And I think that's what's really going to get them through qualifying for the World Cup is that there is definitely a sense of team unity that there may not have been under Trapattoni. Uh, players really want to play for Martin O'Neill. That's kind of one of his strengths as a manager. Uh, and people definitely don't want to play bad for Roy Keane. Uh, <laughs> because they're scared of him he's a very very scary man and I did appreciate one of my favourite favorite moments of the tournament was the Martin O'Neill press conference about saying about how they have uh, uh, was it Roy Keane's in his cage ready to be let loose <laughs> yep um, which is probably uh, too close to reality for some people um, but yeah it's uh, they're, they're a team definitely of strong character who even when the chips are down and things aren't going their way uh, it would be. It's very rare nowadays under Martin O'Neill for an Irish team just to give up, um, and I, I think that is a hard thing to foster in a team, especially one that was as low on confidence and uh, belief as they were when Trapattoni was done with us. Ah, uh, yeah, it 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 was kind of a tough era towards the end of the Trapattoni because it started off quite well and. Hmm kind of just tapered off a little bit but uh dave should we uh should we talk about my home nation yeah who, who've had some struggles on and off the field in the last few weeks mm. uh nobody's really sure what's going on 
politically we're out of the eu <laughs> no it, it, we were looking for something what? <laughs> much like much like france where we were looking for something to properly unite a nation which has literally been divided almost in half there's about mm, three and a half or so percent <laughs> between the nation being divided in half but yeah. that's kind of where we are at the moment uh and yeah england england's tournament ended uh in what was probably in terms of tournament football their worst defeat since they were beaten by the states in the in the world cup in the 50s so uh, this was kind of a tough one. And uh, Dave, as an outsider looking at maybe some of these England performances, uh, what did you think of them? I, in the genuinely, I seem to be the only one that wasn't even remotely surprised. Um, I, I think it's just that I, I have watched England for long enough now and I've watched their kind of uh, slump since 1996 with some oh yeah, some obvious kind of uh, highlights uh, at certain points. But, you know, it's uh, they, they've not really returned to the team that can reliably get to the latter stages of a tournament uh, since then. But they um, I just... It's gotten to the stage now with England where... I always expect them the first time things get remotely difficult to completely bottle it. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. The first time a team they weren't expecting to put a fight up against them, and they did, uh, they just completely collapsed. And I think using Roy Hodgson as a scapegoat uh, could be a massive mistake in the long run for England because I don't think that's addressing the entirety of what went wrong. Sure, he made some uh, silly decisions uh, throughout his reign and throughout the tournament. Like, there were times where there were England games that were calling out for, say, somebody who might have finished as uh, second from top scorer in the Premier League who has a bit of explosive pace and doesn't give a shit and uh, if someone is chatting shit he will come out and they will get banged uh, is it that that the guy that's constantly having a party it, it is yes uh, yeah but I, I like I said I don't think uh, saying that it was all on Hodgson's decisions throughout the tournament uh, I don't think that really addresses the full scope of the problems with that England team I think that's part of it I think uh Again, like people constantly talk about the the Wayne Rooney problem is always um, something that's worth revisiting. Um, it's just it, England are a team that if they could get it together could do quite well, but it doesn't seem like they're going to anytime soon. And uh, I was kind of surprised when people said it was you know when the the headlines the following day said this was like historically embarrassing for England that they went out of this tournament in the way that they did but to me I, I didn't consider it any more or less embarrassing than when the Germans took the ball off them and played keep away with it in South Africa I, I, I think that was even though it was a much better quality of a side I think that was possibly more embarrassing in, in as much as the Germans were basically playing a different sport. That's how far ahead they were of England at the time. They were, but Dave, if you are beaten by a German team, uh, that was kind of really beginning to fire on all cylinders yeah. at that point after a complete overhaul of the way that they operated as a footballing entity. You, you can kind of forgive that, but to lose to... Uh, the much publicised stat of a nation of like 350,000 people yep. 
uh, a lot of whom the players, yes, there are some some quality players in there who play in, in top leagues, but these aren't guys that would get into a lot of Premier League teams. But some of the players the, that will feel at the same time we talk about character with the Republic of Ireland team, and that's what Iceland have is that there was very clearly um, a discordancy between Iceland, who were very much playing for each other and playing for their nation, and. England, who are kind of less of a team and more a jigsaw of a few different Premier League sides, uh, who aren't necessarily playing for their fans, who are kind of... You also have England fans being marred with the the incidences that were going on during the group stages, which obviously would have uh, filtered into the team camp and they... (laughs) It's got to have affected their mentality at least somewhat. Um, It's... It it didn't surprise me, is all i got to say. To address uh, your first point about Hodgson, I suppose in a way... It is unfair to to scapegoat him singularly yes. for for this England England performance because it's quite clear that it's not just his fault. But his tournament performances, the three tournaments that he's been to with the England team now, are managing get, essentially getting the to the same point of the Euros because we qualified out of the groups in his first Euros and went into the quarterfinals when it was a smaller tournament. So qualifying out of the groups into the next round available which is it was the quarters then it's the second round now playing a just quite laborious uh nil nil against italy and then being dumped out on penalties which was the fair result uh not even getting out of the groups in the world cup in 2014 and again going out of the first time of asking you can cut cut it any way you like that is a failure yeah and Three tournaments of failure means that he did decide oh, yeah. to lose oh, yeah. his but, job. Oh, by, by no means do I think that so, he should have remained in this position. I do think it, yeah. he rendered himself completely untenable in this position, especially because some of his selections would lead you to believe he was just he was going down without even trying to fight. Uh, but like yeah, like he, like he you said, and he, like I was saying beforehand, it's not it it will be a mistake in the extreme to just move on from this and assume it was down to him and installed by, from what it looks, Sam Allardyce and assume that that's every problem fixed. Uh, yeah, I can't say that. I mean, there might be a few because there's always people who have thoughts that you might not necessarily agree with, but I can't say that the general populace as a whole is incredibly excited or enticed by the prospect of Sam Allardyce no. being England manager. No. I'm because excited. I'm excited, but not in not in the way you no, probably yeah, want me to be. You're excited because you know that there's going to be a stage where you get to laugh at England, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I, as an English person, have to do sometimes just to keep my own sanity. Yeah, you laugh or you uh, cry. I do, but the tournament itself and the the way that we played it it wasn't awful but it it wasn't inspiring either and i think that that is the biggest problem that i have with sam allardyce being england manager is that he is not going to necessarily be a particularly inspirational or interesting coach to watch because you know, lots of people talk about, oh, we were trying to play possession football and, you know, it's it, it doesn't work for us. But we should, if you watch the Premier League, it is an incredibly fast league 
and the athleticism displayed you would say that it's it's in, it's extremely exciting to watch like every team has that ability to counter-attack with pace every single team seems to have you know a few players who are who are big and, and strong and, and decisive. And we have all those players in the England team as well. We have that Eric Dyer in the midfield and we have the pace with the fullbacks who are, who are both great in the tournament. So we have the ability to play the way that Premier League teams play in an interesting and, 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 and cool to watch fashion. But I don't necessarily think that Allardyce is going to deliver no. that. And I don't think there is a person around at the moment, especially an Englishman, who is likely to deliver that? So I don't know whether we just kind of, you know, everyone. Every time we go out of a tournament, everyone talks about ripping up scripts and uh, uh, and you know changing our methods and changing the way youth teams and stuff play. And and I think that is gradually coming around. But I just want to watch the England team, and I just want to enjoy it. I I don't necessarily want them to always you know have to be like perfect because they're not always going to be and I'm not asking for too much I just want to enjoy watching the England team at no stage during that tournament aside from Daniel Sturridge's scuffed winner and against Wales did I enjoy watching England play and I don't think I will under Allardyce either and that's what worries me but you know I I think that a lot of the press uh hyperbole and negativity does affect the players um so I think there's just too much said really and I think what we need is we need some pragmatism in terms of what we're going to do uh, going forward with the whole coaching setup and whether or not we kind of cultivate a situation where we have the under 19s the under 21s and, and the first team say they play the same formation they play the same way and, and, and quite holistic in that fashion uh, but at the moment we just seem to have odds and ends and we were, the way that we were setting up in the qualifying and the way we played then we got to the tournament and then ultimately it looked like Hodgson was using the group games as friendlies to decide what his best 11 was that, that's not the right way to go about it at all and that's why we need somebody come in and be decisive yeah. Uh, again but we we talk about and I'm talking about it now we're looking for these things and and they just don't seem to be necessarily present at the moment in in any English coaches there's no one that's going to come along and and step up I can see that that could do this so we might have to look outside I just yeah it boils down to it Dave I just want to watch some some good (laughs) football if we get beat if we get beaten we get beaten but at least try and play and we were so ponderously terribly slow against Iceland in everything we tried to do they had two moments in the game in which they were incredibly decisive and scored and after that we just couldn't break them down we had no idea what to do and that is just I mean it's it's unacceptable really from the players and the management and all combined and there's not a lot of positives to take out of this tournament other than the fact that I thought the, f- the fullbacks looked good and Eric Dyer's cemented his place as an England player in the midfield in the future that problem seems to have been answered but we answered a few problems and, and seem to create <laughs> scores more so we'll see yeah. we'll see what happens I have no doubt that we'll qualify for the World Cup our group is very winnable and 
you know we usually look good in qualifying and perhaps that's what's given us false hope but yeah, yeah we're just a, we're a nation of almost hopeless dreamers but at the same time incredibly negative and i don't understand that dichotomy there has to be the pragmatic middle where we're looking at something and going right okay so we we've got a bit of this and if we could get in this situation then maybe that'll be positive but it it seems to be like our politics is heading at the moment to go a little bit political you have two sides you have two approaches and it's usually somebody that can unify both left and right wing that will eventually succeed in political front and Um, we do need somebody to unify the negativity and the insane hope and positivity and just be very realistic about what we have make the most of what we have in the way that Portugal did okay Um, seeing as we're coming up uh, on the hour now uh, I think we'll we'll go to your three up three down and then we'll move on to team of the tournament correct right so three teams I thought were absolutely brilliant in this tournament Uh, Wales yeah I thought Wales were fantastic. They they really did do their nation proud. It was their first tournament since 1958, and we saw uh, a unified team. We saw an effective team. We saw a man up front in Hal Robson Carnu, who's a winger for Reading, who's just been released from his contract, looking like the second incarnation of Didier Drogba at times. That, that Cruyff turn for that goal. Oh, I mean, I, that's what I... That, that it re- it really reminded me of uh, there was a, a game uh, an FA Cup semi-final where there was a moment from Drogba where nothing was happening in the game really it was nil-nil uh, and the ball was just plunked up to him and he he, he chested it turned on a sixpence and, and with a yard of pace beat William Gallas and rifled it in uh, just out of nowhere and that was that Hal Robson Carnu moment he, he had his back to goal he was facing away from goal yeah. there was nothing and there was a couple of defenders behind him there was nothing he could do in that moment other than the Cruyff turn that would have got him anywhere near to goal and everybody bought it mm. and it was just magical it really was it was like watching bad AI in a computer <laughs> game as all of the players just went in the opposite direction it was amazing Aaron Ramsey was, was revelatory in the midfield he was brilliant he had energy he had pace he had creativity he was everything that his potential says that he could be but frustratingly so often isn't in an Arsenal shirt Gareth Bale was the leader he was everything the team were built around he, he had a great tournament as well uh, and there were some characters in there Ashley Williams at, at centre half Joe Ledley who soldiered on through injury and, and showed some quite fantastic dance moves and celebrations <laughs> in there and I, I, I just you know it despite their celebration of the England team being beaten by Iceland uh, that aside uh, you can't help but have enjoyed what Wales put out there yeah absolutely um, I, I think that they really without Wales in Euro 2016 um, I'd be a lot more inclined to go along with the people who say this was a very bad tournament uh, but as long as there were stories like Wales and one of the other teams you're going to talk about here in your three up um, uh, they really made it for me um, yeah. the, the Welsh story going on it would have been so fantastic to see them in the final it was kind of that's the, the one thing I'm not disappointed about Portugal winning the final on how that game panned out in the end but I am disappointed that Wales lost the semi-final yeah very much so I, and I think in that game they just didn't get it quite right tactically yeah. 
and I think Portugal, they played into Portugal's hands. Portugal finished the game off very quickly after half-time and I thought they were very shrewd in that game to try and nullify what Wales had been doing so well. And they, not having Ramsey in there was difficult, really, really difficult for just kind of a nothing booking that he picked up for a handball in, in basically the middle of the pitch. So that was kind of tough for them, but they were such a credit to their country that you can't, really and when you look back at it with hindsight the disappointment kind of ebbs away and you just have to look at this as a real benchmark for what Welsh football could be going forward and before and, and, and before you move on to Iceland it's got to be said best uh, team song for the tournament oh yeah Manic Street Preachers did a great song didn't oh, they oh fantastic when you've got Robson Carnu in the lyrics uh, <laughs> in a chorus you know the song is going to be on to a winner yeah, so um, Iceland, Dave. Uh, this was, I mean, just a, a, a tour de force, really, to watch, don't you think? Oh, it, they had it. They were, again, one of the teams that really made the tournament for me. Uh, and not just because I got to say the words Idaho Johnson out loud again. Um, I, I have always loved that man. But the. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Iceland stories throughout this tournament, not just like dumping out England, but just the. the just their relentless positivity, the fun they brought to the tournament, and the the unexpected nature of how far they got, and the teams they beat on the way, um, and the teams they really put up a fight against, uh, really uh, just just made me smile. You know, even when uh, like I wasn't around for the the England match, uh, but even just reading the result, and this isn't out of a haha England sort of thing, but just the. Um, <laughs> just reading the results when I was on holidays made me smile because I'm like, God, like, this will be just, you know, if England had won, it would have been just, okay, another win, getting through to the next round. But a win for Iceland in that game was like, people will be telling their grandchildren about the time that Iceland beat England. Absolutely. And and they have every right to. Uh, you know, it was a shame in the end because I thought that they could having seen some France performances which were kind of not so committed so far up to that point into the quarterfinals, uh, I thought they would be able to, to really frustrate France. But there was very much that narrative circling around, uh, you know, they've been playing quite defensive and, you know, they, they've, they've been doing this and they've been doing that and the negativity from Ronaldo. And I think that almost got to them to the point where they came out against France a little bit too much they they didn't play that clever tactical game that they had been playing up to that point and had done them so well in games like the Austria game and and the England game and the Portugal game they they very much were a bit more open and they were just picked to pieces by France so despite that sad end everything about what they did there you know the the, the commentator going crazy when they nabbed yeah. the the winner against austria the fans and their the viking clap being the in thing for the tournament uh and the the was it the icelandic newspaper the, Twitter oh I, I have it here one of my moments of the tournament the reykjavik grape line grapevine <laughs> should i say uh tweeting during the one-all draw with portugal which they described as an inf- as iceland inflicting a crushing 1-1 defeat on portugal <laughs> uh, included such mighty tweets as um 
Hold on there. There was uh, there was one I had just queued up for this. Oh yeah, and now we smite... This is when they were 1-0 down. And now we smite them into tiny pieces of dust and destroy their goal with a ball set on fire by our volcanic thunder. Um, I mean, that is <laughs> genius. Uh, I know a lot of mentions of the mighty god Thor yeah. and his all-powerful <laughs> being being in the, uh, in, the, in the players' feet and their heads and all this kind of stuff. It was just... It was amazing. So yeah, I Iceland thumbs up all around really and and it's fun. It's a very fun thing to see a team that are real old-fashioned underdogs doing great stuff. It it kind of felt like a team that made it quite deep into the FA Cup, like the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and everybody was all their attention was on. Uh and my other team that I've got as a positive Dave was Italy. Yeah. Uh uh, not just to pat myself on the back for predicting them to, to look quite good and do quite well in this tournament beforehand, but mainly just to say Italy were in... Before the tournament, there was a lot of negativity from their own press, from the worldwide press saying this is one of the worst Italian teams to go to a tournament in years. And I think they spun all that out and just absolutely played to their strengths. They had the three excellent centre-backs, Barzali, Bonucci and Chiellini BBC. from Juventus who were playing just mercurial stuff uh, all the way through the tournament and they, they played with the wing-backs which Conte tends to favour and despite not having a great midfield they still managed to cleverly work the ball and, and have the likes of um, Eder and Yuman uh, from uh, Southampton, Graziano Pella, who's just moved over to China. Ch- China's Graziano Pella. China's now Graziano Pella, and and uh, people like Jacarini coming in, and a guy who was very underwhelming f- for Sunderland for the large majority of last season, all looking like great players. And Antonio Conte really cultivated this sense of team spirit. And his whole staff and everybody going crazy every time they scored a goal and his animated behavior on the touchline <laughs> and a real kind of central pillar of motivation for that team that, that he was built around it. And I, I think that that was reflected in the players' performances. And that was where the psychology of football can really play into a positive because if you can make the best out of, of not a lot, it, it usually means that there's some real good motivational figures going on there. And it, there was a sense of belief about this Italian squad and, and also a sense of cunning. They weren't afraid to take a booking here or there to, to halt play. And they, they weren't afraid to just really mix it up when they needed to. But ultimately, they fell short against the Germany team on penalties which was probably one of the worst penalty shootouts I've seen in a major <laughs> tournament in some time. And they were very unlucky to do it. Uh, Germany kind of just coasting through the tournament at that point. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of gutted for Italy. I, I must admit, when England went out, if I was going to be rooting for a team, it was going to be for those guys. Absolutely. Now, where there is ups, there must be downs. And you have... Uh... <laughs> Put in, we've already talked about England and the disappointing nature of them. They are one of your three uh, negative teams here. Uh, but talk to us about the other two. The the first of which might surprise some people who didn't watch the tournament, but you have the world champions, Germany, down here. I do. Um, Germany, I don't think they ever really found their feet. Uh, they, they squashed Hungary, yes. 
but that was a Hungary team again who were kind of riding the crest of a wave of qualifying out of a group uh, as winners by the way and almost really Iceland's story in that group overshadowed such a good job that Hungary did but still they were kind of a little bit out of their depth and, and, and Germany really did feast on them but they just never really clicked in the tournament they they played Goethe as a full sign it wasn't working they brought Gomez in and, and it, it did look to be working for a while but still it didn't quite pan out and, and Müller didn't score a goal in the Euros again which is strange considering his goal scoring record in the World Cup Azil was what Azil has unfortunately become in the last couple of years which was when he he was good he was unplayable um, and when he was bad it's not that he was bad it's that he just wasn't there at all and they were basically playing with 10 men yeah. uh, and it, it's kind of tough to watch I think with a team such creativity and, and such uh, just a, a, a wealth of talent really especially in the midfield and kind of wing and forward areas that there's not a specific real kind of standout number nine ever since Miraclosa has retired no one's really stepped up and replaced him even though Gomez was kind of on a, a rejuvenation bent uh, in terms of his goal scoring last year he, he is still not the sort of assured quality striker you'd need to look for and yeah, it was just a, a real lack of personality from this German team to the point where I thought that perhaps the better of their players may have been their defenders. Yeah. Uh, that is saying something for a team which have had insane attacking verve. And they, they lost 2-0 to France in the semis in a game where, again, as we've mentioned with France, they kind of didn't really get our second, third gear. And considering the last game they played against the tournament hosts in a semi-final, they eviscerated Brazil by seven goals to one. Yeah. This was a real performance. And, and, and that was, to come back to what I just said a second ago, just devoid of personality, really, from Germany. Mm, absolutely. They were... Um a team that I had written on my show notes here never played like world champions, um, which is disappointing. Sums it up perfectly. Like it's a team you would have expected to come out and, if not sweep past most teams, at least kind of play in a way that suggests these are people that these are, this is a team that deserved to win the World Cup two years ago, and they never really did. They never really convinced, as you said, and. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, like, I'm never shocked when Muller doesn't play very well because I've seen him play for Bayern Munich and that's pretty much a constant thing for him um, there. But the the fall from grace that we discussed on part one of Mario Goetze in this tournament continues uh, from a player that scored the winning goal in the World Cup final two years ago to a player that looked like he was going to be shoved off to Liverpool in early parts of this uh, transfer window. Uh, it, yeah, that's sadly the story with a few of these players as well. I look at another guy in the squad in Andre Schürrle who yeah. I've, I, I, I've seen have just, I mean, magnificent performances in the Chelsea shirt, but more often than not, he just, he didn't deliver. Mm. And there's a lot of promising players that have kind of, made it into this Germany side and, and again just not really delivering what they could do and and, and I think Jürgen Lowe has, has got a, a job on his hands to yeah. kind of turn this around and really because it, it's a bit of a, a little I think it 
even though it's on a different level, like what a slump for Germany is, is only getting to the quarterfinals or the semi-finals. Mm. But these these guys should be dominating. Yeah, world football. And they should be getting for the for tournament. the second straight tournament as well. There's still the question of how how much better would they have done if Marco Royce could stay fit for any length of time and been in the squad, because he yeah. might have been that dynamic player that could have be could have banged in the goals for them uh, because on his day Marco Royce is much like you said of Mesodozil unplayable um, and yeah Mesodozil wasn't going to step up to the plate in this tournament he kind of like um, not to, to beat uh, a rival Premier League team over the head but, but the Arsenal has gotten into him an awful lot um, he and it's yeah I was going to say it's a similar story with um, with Gundogan as well yeah he this is another excellent player that you know again injury really kind of taken him out of it completely and you would wonder with those two key guys in there would they be able to achieve cuz i mean I d- this is a funny stat about gundahan something that i picked out before the show but he's been playing for germany since 2011 right and i mean yes he has sami kadira in a similar position perhaps mm. but it's a guy that's only played 16 games for Germany since 2011 yeah. mainly because of injury and that's really sad story yeah. when you look at and it and he's a guy who I think could be uh, if he can stay fit an incredibly shrewd purchase for Manchester City but at the tam- same time could look like throwing uh, a lot of money at a crippled racehorse as well um, because yeah, he seems sad, to be a, to it, it's sad yeah but he seems to be a player already that while still young is someone who much like an Aaron Ramsey or Jack Wilshire is despite his incredible enormous natural talents is just always going to struggle with injury um, and these kind of question marks will always be over the German side like could they have been an all time great side if injuries went their way where they would have that extra bit of dynamism from those two players not to mention the likes of who, uh, Hummels and Juvedes who started the tournament injured like if they could have been more dominant if they had like a constant uh, no changing of the back four throughout the tournament um true i think boateng did well by the way I he did he's, he a, he's a very very good player and i think uh, an underrated player sometimes i think it's just because I, the, especially with the uk media he had such an uh, such a bad spell at man city yeah and he he, he kind of i think that knocked his confidence just a little bit and it knocked people's perceptions of him in the media in this country uh, and we do tend to do that every now and then. Like, for, for example, the, the Zlatan thing of, oh, he never plays against English sides or he's not this or he's not that. And I think he then improved himself. And I think... Yeah, they, and I, I, believe, that I this, believe he humped Arsenal then. <laughs> yeah, I hope that this tournament kind of has changed people's views on Boateng. Yeah. Like, as well, it didn't help him a couple of years ago when, when Messi just completely turned him inside out yeah. in that Champions League semi-finals and he ended up on his ass. Uh, you know, that's Messi doing that to him, though. Yeah. People need to put these things in perspective. <laughs> uh, your final uh, of the uh, your, your disappointing teams here, uh, the perennial dark horse of any tournament, Belgium. Uh, apart from a convincing display against the Republic of Ireland, uh, they never really lit the tournament up in the way you would really hope. No, Belgium seems to have become what Spain were in the 90s, early 2000s, um, in that they're always promising a lot with a bevy of very talented footballers and just under-delivering every single time and not being able to get past that, 
that kind of sticking point that they seem to be in in the quarterfinals. Uh, it just was flashes. There was a, a brilliant game that that Hazard had uh, in the second round. There was a there's a brilliant game that Romelu Lukaku had against Ireland. There were glimpses from De Bruyne, and that was kind of all it ever seemed to be yeah. with Belgium. And, they they uh, flashed a, br- a brilliant opening twenty minutes or so against Wales. Um, they yes, they they were uh, they they were playing Wales completely off the park at that yeah, point. Nangolan scoring it, a lovely one, and N- Nangolan being one of the real ups for them in this yeah. tournament. I thought he was quite magnificent for them all the way through. And they looked at that point when they went one up. They looked like they could cruise to a three 0 victory. You know, if they kept it up, and then just they collapsed. Yeah, it was. It's it's hard to watch Belgium. They they must be really frustrating because I think that a lot of the Belgium fans, because we know that Belgium's league kind of isn't particularly uh, well watched and and might not have the quality of that. And they, and I know that they tend to end up watching uh, the Bundesliga and the Premier League, which means they're seeing a lot of their own talent succeeding in other teams. They're seeing Lukaku score twenty plus goals for Everton last season this even though Hazard was terrible for the large part last season they're seeing him winning player of the year the year before they're seeing De Bruyne picking defenses apart they're seeing their two center backs even though one of them was un- strangely out a right back being part of Spurs defense who were the best defense in the league and they're seeing Courtois uh again bad season last year but be imperious uh for Atletico Madrid and for Chelsea in in, in Chelsea's style winning season so they must think that if you add all of these ingredients together you're going to make one hell of a a recipe but unfortunately uh the recipe feels kind of undercooked and we mentioned Wilmots as being like kind of real under pressure now and he has in fact stepped down in the last few days so it would be nice to see what happens now with Belgium I mean there have been a few rumors of Louis Louis van Gaal taking over Belgium God help them uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's just um, one of those sort of bookies type of things to cook somebody up and, and take some money on some odds in the short term. But we need to see, I think, somebody who can not necessarily be a, t- a huge tactical guy going as Belgian manager, Uh but we need somebody that's going to unite the players, perhaps in the way that Antonio Conte, not that I'm saying he's not a brilliant tactical manager, clearly he is, but the way that he united uh, Italy, we need somebody for Belgium who is going to do the same thing because I think this collection of players, much like France, on their day is talented enough to just turn up and win games every now and then, but they need to cultivate uh, a togetherness that just doesn't seem to be there in the moments and they're just the character that this team possesses uh it seems too fragile when they we could see it against wales when they conceded that goal their confidence wasn't particularly good and yes they were a few defenders light in that game and denier and and lukaku's brother who maybe was only picked for the team to try and keep lukaku in a positive (laughs) mood because he was just i mean i i've seen better uh, defensive play on a Sunday league than what he put <laughs> up in that game he was awful uh, so yeah I, maybe you could say they're unlucky in that sense but yeah it's, it's, it's very much the ingredients there we just need somebody to cook it up and, and make us a, a nice recipe for this Belgium team and yeah they, they're a negative for me because they should be doing so much better 
You can follow us on Twitter at AwayGoalsPod, which you will see kind of bursting into life hopefully quite soon uh, with updates on, you know, where else you can follow us on social media or when our next show is coming up, things like that. That is the best place to find us for now and I will hopefully have a better spiel to wrap up the shows with all our contact details by the next time we're here. But for now, I am Dave Ryan. You have been Jack Lazell. That's correct. And this has been the Away Goals Podcast. It's only a game.